Good morning, church family. I love when we have two worship gatherings on a lot of Sunday mornings. There's a lot of great things about that, a lot of helpful things about a lot of that, and, uh, and, and a lot of advantages to that. But isn't this fun in the summertime to gather uh, at one gathering and, and see uh, all of our church family together? That's pretty fun, right? I have a picture I want to show you uh, from when I was a kid. So let's take a look at that. There you go. That's me in the front, my brother in the back. And if I was posting this online, I would give photo credit to my mom. And it happens to be that my mom and my brother, who's in the picture, are here today. So that's kind of fun. Didn't originally plan that, but now he really loves it, I'm sure. Why did I, po why did I show this picture to you this morning? Uh, it was not to intimidate you, although I know you're intimidated. I mean, look at the zebra-striped shirt, right? I did not show you the picture to intimidate you. I showed you the picture because I wanted to take a look at the, the awesome two front teeth of mine in that picture, uh, complete with a little gap between them. And I'm not making fun. I, I have a point here. I promise this will go somewhere. But it's part of the story that I want to tell you is that, is that you can see when I was younger, I had uh, teeth that needed some help. I was fortunate enough to have, I had a gap between my teeth there. I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity when I was a teenager to have braces. So we did the braces thing my first time through when I was a teenager, closed the gap, right? Gave me a nice smile uh, right into adulthood. And, uh, and then seven years ago, I had to have braces again, seven or eight years ago, I had to have braces a second time for a variety of reasons, um, not, not so much because of my lack of care for my teeth, uh, but because of the, the way my jaw was aligned, uh, not aligned properly, I was uh, grinding my teeth at night and destroying my teeth, etc. So I had to have braces again in lead up to a, a pretty significant jaw surgery where they actually changed my bite by cutting through my jaw and moving my jaw out. Yeah, crazy. That's a story for another time. But, um, but I had to have braces a second time is my point. And my orthodontist in preparation for this surgery had to line up the rest of my mouth to fit things and to line up for the jaw surgery. And so uh, he broke the news to me that part of my lead up to the surgery was going to be to have one of those uh, expanders in the roof of your mouth. Raise your hand if you've got an expander. It's a really, really fun feeling thing when you crank it and it rips the roof of your mouth wider and changes your bite, right? So in preparation for my surgery, I was having this expander and, and my orthodontist told me I was going to have a gap again. I said, say what? I had a gap, it got closed, and you're going to give me another gap. What is going on here? Say what? You're going to do what? That's your solution? Orthodontist man, expert, who's going to line up my mouth? That's your solution? you got to be kidding me. At first, it doesn't make sense that he's going to take what was already good and, and make go from bad to worse or, you know, or make it worse before it gets better. And then after surgery, now here's a picture I should have shown you, but I didn't prepare it this morning. After surgery... You wouldn't, you wouldn't believe, I looked like a cartoon character. You would not believe, if you, if you saw the picture, you'd think, no, he photoshopped that. I had cheeks this big. Uh, surgery recovery was not great. I'm sure I was saying things like, I don't deserve this. I brushed my teeth. What did I do to deserve this? And it doesn't make any sense that this is the road to recovery. 
But of course, we probably, hopefully we have this perspective. Was, is my orthodontist out to get me? No, my, my orthodontist was not out to get me. My orthodontist knew the big picture. He knew where I needed to get to. And in order to get there, uh, he, those were the steps we had to take. And so he kept the big picture in mind. He was trying to help me. While it felt to me like things were going from bad to worse, like it, while it felt to me like this doesn't make any sense, you're going to do what? He knew what he was doing. He had the big picture in mind. He was trying to help. Well, that's a, um, that's a silly example of a pretty relatively unimportant area of my life in the big picture, right? It really, whether I have a gap in my teeth or not, whether I had braces or not, relatively inconsequential area of my life. And yet I'm using it because some of the language I just used to talk about that experience is the language that I think you and I sometimes use in other difficult circumstances in our lives. When we face trial and suffering and things don't go the way we anticipate, we say things like, say what, God? You're gonna do what? And that's the kind of thing we hear from the prophet Habakkuk in our uh, current series as we study the Bible book, the book in your Bible called Habakkuk. So why don't you turn there with me if you would. Uh, open to Habakkuk chapter one. It's toward the end of your Old Testament. My couple, two of my kids are going to camp this week, and, and thinking of camp reminds me, did anybody ever learn a song uh, to, to learn the books of the Bible? You might need to pull that out right now, right? And if you don't know a song, it's okay. Look in your table of contents and find Habakkuk. I want you to open your Bible, find Habakkuk, but at the camp we served at, we had the Bible rap. And the end of the Old Testament went like this. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, New Testament. In there, yeah, thank you, no. <laughs> I wasn't trying to get applause. My point was I just listed off about eight books of the Bible and Habakkuk was in there. So that's how I find Habakkuk, right? Okay, so turn to Habakkuk chapter one. Find it in your table of contents if you need to. No shame in that. Old Testament book toward the end of the Old Testament written by the prophet Habakkuk. And we're in a series of messages that we're calling how long? And what we've talked about in the last couple of weeks as we started this series is that the book of Habakkuk is, is a conversation between the prophet Habakkuk and God. And it's this unique insight for us to listen into this conversation, this back and forth between Habakkuk and God. And if we just want to recap quickly where we've been in the first couple of weeks so that we can catch up today, uh, if you look at verse 2, Habakkuk cries out. Habakkuk laments to the Lord. He even, we could even call it a complaint. Verse 2, Habakkuk, and this could be us as well. Habakkuk cries out, how long, Lord? How long? The situation that he was facing was a world of violence and injustice. And, and he, in the verses after this, he's calling out for help. And he's saying, God, you're not, why do I call out for help and you don't answer me? And the situation that Habakkuk faced were these evil kings, and that didn't help anything, but it wasn't just the king's fault. God's people themselves were, were, were wickedly disobedient, largely, not every one of them, but many wickedly disobedient of God at this time. And so Habakkuk is crying out, how long is this going to go on? This, this mess that we're in, this, this pain that we're experiencing, this wickedness and suffering, and it's like you and I when we ask these questions, isn't it? I think that this topic, this series, hits close to home because you and I ask questions like this at different times in our lives as well. How long, God, this thing that I'm going through, this thing that's not going the way I thought, 
And, and it's our why questions. Habakkuk asked that why question as well. Why, God? Why is this your plan? Why is this your response? And then we look down at verse 6. And God, this is what we talked about a little bit last week, God's answer, remember this is a conversation back and forth between Habakkuk and God. Now God's answer in verse six, God answers with shocking news. In fact, he even says, you're not gonna believe it. You think it's bad now. Habakkuk laments, complains, how long is this gonna go on? God, he's waiting for God to answer and God says, you know what? You're not gonna believe this. It's gonna go from bad to worse. I am raising up the Babylonians or the Chaldeans, depending on your translation. It says those are basically the same people. God says, I am raising up the Babylonians. In other words, we're suffering here, God. Things are a mess. We have evil kings. There's disobedience. Things are a mess. And, and God says, you know what? I'm raising up the Babylonians, this, this cutthroat nation, this these fierce, aggressive people. They're going to sweep in and destroy Judah, God's people. I don't think that was the answer Habakkuk was looking for. God says, I'm raising up the Babylonians. The, and the following verses go on to say that they're such a cutthroat and fierce and swift people. And so God's people will be attacked by these wicked people. God's people are disobedient. And yet God is bringing in this even, this seemingly even worse, more wicked people. But here's the really fascinating thing about this story. And we're going to see this in coming weeks as well. This evil aggressor the Chaldeans, the Babylonian Empire, this evil aggressor is not only under God's authority, and they certainly are. God's authority over all things includes his authority over this evil empire. But the, this, this aggressor, the Babylonians that are going to attack God's people, are not only under God's authority, they are his instrument. This is hard to fathom. God is going to use this evil people to bring about his good and perfect purposes, not the way we would write things up. And so again, we're in this conversation and now here we are in week three and our conversation between Habakkuk and God is going back and forth. It started with Habakkuk saying, how long? And with God replying, you're not gonna believe this, I'm raising up the Babylonians. And that brings us to our passage for today where Habakkuk can't believe, Habakkuk can't get his brain around that God would use the Babylonians to correct or to punish his people. Let's look at verse 13. Habakkuk 1, verse 13. Habakkuk speaking to God. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil, and you cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at these treacherous people, at these traitors? And why do you remain silent when the wicked swallow up the man that is more righteous than he? So, I mean, God had told Habakkuk in verse 5, right? You're not going to believe what I'm about to do. And sure enough, Habakkuk's answer is, say what? Say what? You got to be kidding me, God. That's your plan? That's your response to preserving and protecting your people? Is to raise up? This wicked nation? And so Habakkuk, in the next few verses that we want to look at, Habakkuk goes on to describe what God's plan feels like to him. So I want us to put ourselves in these shoes today. Do you have a how long question that comes to your mind? Something you're experiencing now or have experienced in the past where you're asking God, 
How long is this going on? Why is this your plan? Put ourselves in, the, in those shoes because Habakkuk goes on here to describe what God's plan feels like to him. If that, God, if that's what you're going to do, are you serious? That's your response? You're going to do what? And now he goes on to describe how that feels. Verse 14. You, God, make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He, referring to the Chaldeans, the wicked foe, he, the wicked foe, brings all of them up with a hook. I mean, get this picture, right? Right here. Habakkuk saying, God, you just made man smart, intelligent, human souls, thoughts, feelings, and, you, and it's like I feel stuck in the ocean and I'm just getting yanked up by a hook. That this, that this fisherman, this wicked foe, is just having his way with us. Verse 15 says, he brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. It's, 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 it's as if we have no control. He's painting a picture here of, of having no control, of, of the enemy having its way. Have we ever felt like that? Have we ever felt like the world, our circumstances, are having their way? And we're here just getting plucked. So the end of verse 15 says he, he drags them out with his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet and he rejoices. The wicked foe rejoices and is glad, gloating, happy at the destruction that the, that the enemy is bringing about. Verse 16. Therefore he, the wicked foe, the Babylonians, sacrifice to their own nets and they make offerings to his dragnet. This is incredible. They are worshiping their, their tools of the trade. They're so powerful and things are going their way and they're plucking people out of the ocean left and right and having their way and cutthroats and fierce and sweeping through and dominating the world at this time. They can do whatever they want. And so they're not worshiping God. They're worshiping their tools, their nets, basically themselves. They're saying, there's, in fact, verse 11 told us their own strength is their God. Their might and their success and their strength is their God. And so they're worshiping their own tools of the trade and the tools of their success, not the one true God. Look at how verse 16 continues. They make offerings to their nets, for by them, by their nets, they live in luxury and, and his food is rich. Does this seem fair? What's our initial reaction to this? The wicked foe is living in luxury. Great food, things going well. Does this strike us as fair? I think these are questions we ask as well. What? Say what? That doesn't make any sense, God. Why does it seem like the wicked prosper? Why does it seem like I look around and, and wickedness is rewarded? Or, or perhaps we need to be careful. Is that ever tempting for us? Does, does doing whatever look fun? Does going against God, does falling into evil, does doing our own thing look, look good? But is, that, but, is, but is that all it's cracked up to be? So what situations in our lives feel like this? Are you facing something that 
makes you feel like that, like fish being caught, like things not going your way, like the enemy having their way? What is the situation where you feel caught on a hook? Why don't I ever get hired? Why do I feel abandoned by this person? Will this situation ever improve, God? What are your how long questions? What are your why questions that you are facing right now or perhaps recently? How long will I get picked on? Why is my boss so cruel? How long will I be mistreated? God, why do my prayers go, seem to go unanswered? How, uh, how long will I feel this pain? How long will I, my life involve suffering? So we all have these how long and why questions like Habakkuk. And we, and, we, and we can cry out to God like he does at the beginning of the, of the book. How long, God? Why? But what happens when his answer shocks us? What happens when his answer is not what we had in mind? What happens when God answers in a shocking way? What are some of the possible reactions that Habakkuk could have and that we could have? What are some of these possible reactions in this situation? We're crying out. We're being honest with God. We're sharing our struggles. We're sharing our pain. We're wondering how long it's going to last. Why, God, please help us. Give us an answer. And God says, you're not going to believe this. Things are going to go from bad to worse. What are some possible reactions we could have? Well, we've already talked about one. We could respond like, like this. Say, what? You're going to do what? That's your answer? That's your great solution, God? In verse 13, one of the things we read in verse 13, Habakkuk asks God, why are you silent while evil people swallow up good people? Why are you silent while evil people swallow up good people? Well, first of all, there's a problem there where he's deciding who's good and who's bad, right? Got news for you. We all have a sinful nature. We all go against God. So one of the things Habakkuk says there in verse 13 is, why, God, are you silent when evil people swallow up good people? He's saying, God, we don't deserve this. I brush my teeth. I already had the gap closed. I don't deserve this. I'm not as wicked as them. God, we might be blowing it. God's people might be wicked and disobeying, but we're not as bad as those Babylonians. We don't deserve this. And the other thing it says in verse 13 is, God, you are too pure. Why are you putting up with evil? In other words, that doesn't make any sense. God, you're holy and perfect and just. Why are you putting up with evil? Why are you, why are you uh, allowing these things? It doesn't make any sense to us. So those are some possible reactions. Perhaps this is how Habakkuk felt. Perhaps this is some of what was going on behind his writing. And certainly, I don't know about you, but certainly it's some of what I would say in difficult situations that aren't going the way I wanted, right? So those are understandable reactions from Habakkuk. Those would be understandable reactions uh, for us. And by the way, uh, this is only the third week of our series, and I'm already tired of saying the word Habakkuk. <laughs> cool name. A little bit long and a little bit, you know, from somewhere else, right? So <laughs> Habakkuk, now let's see, you know, can we give him a nickname? 
in our world, I feel like we add a Y to everything. You know, Richard becomes Ricky, Lawrence becomes Larry, right? Uh, Robert becomes Bobby, right? So I'm just going to add a Y. Can we call him Habby? <laughs> I think it flows off the tongue a little easier. No disrespect to the long dead prophet himself. No disrespect to God's word, but perhaps sometimes I'll just say Habby. And we'll all just keep going with the sermon a little faster. You know what I mean? All right, so, so we're in this conversation between God and Habakkuk. And Habakkuk cries out, how long, O Lord? God answers, you're not going to believe this. I'm raising up the Babylonians. And now here in, again in our passage today, we're looking at Habakkuk's second lament, his second complaint. He's heard God say, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians. And, our, and what the passage we're looking at this morning is, again, Habakkuk going, wait a second. But you may have noticed in your Bibles that I skipped verse 12. So I want to go back to that. Let's go back to verse 12 and see how Habakkuk responds to this shocking news. Instead of us saying, say what? God, you're going to do what? Instead of us doing that, Let's see what we can learn from Habakkuk's response in verse 12. Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. Habakkuk's words, what I want us to look at in this part is that Habakkuk's words, his prayer here really, his, his calling out to God, declares truth about who God is. And we're going to walk through this passage and I'll show you what I mean. But look at this. Despite his circumstances, despite all that's crashing down around him, despite the fact that God just gave, his, give, gave him the shocking news that the future looks bleak, God just revealed that things are going to go from bad to worse. And despite Habakkuk's circumstances and that brutal future, Habi, I think, right here, displays trust in God. Look at his words in verse 12. Because why can he trust God? Because he knows God's character. So I want us to follow in that example. So instead of responding to God when we find things going a certain way in life that we didn't expect, that are painful, that are hard, that are not what we would prefer, instead of us going, say, what? You're going to do what? Instead of doing that, let's follow Habakkuk's lead and recognize and trust God's nature and his character. What do we know to be true about God? Habakkuk in these verses focuses on how God is eternal and changeless and how he is divine, how he is holy and how he is God. That's what Habakkuk focuses on there. Let's look at that verse a little bit. You see the word Lord up there in verse 12. We'll put it back on the screen here. You see the word Lord. And when you find the word Lord in your Old Testament, and it's all in the capital letters, the small capital letters, it's, it's, a, it's an English translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh, the name of the living God. And so every time that the, and someone in the Old Testament, in this case, Habi, cries out, Lord, right even just by his word of addressing God, he's, he's indicating that this is Yahweh, the living God, the great I am. And so just in the way he calls out to God, he's contrasting the holy, righteous, living God, the great I am, with the other so-called gods of his time. And look at him use the word everlasting. Of course, that reminds us of God's eternality. The fact that God was, is, and always will be, right? He is from everlasting. 
And also, there's probably a sense here in which when he uses that word that he's saying, God, you're everlasting. You've been with us, so we can count on you to continue to be with us. You've been with us, and so you will be with us. You are faithful. Habby uses the word holy, highlighting God's perfection, his purity, his, his otherness, that he is so set apart from our human experience. And there's an interesting one here. You may have caught this depending on what your um, English translation says. Uh, there is a part there in verse 12 that says, we will never die. And some of you are looking at your translation going confused because it says, and perhaps in some places it says, you will never die. And honestly, we don't have a ton of time to get into this, but it's a, it's a small, what I would call a textual issue, that when, that when God's word was translated from the original language Hebrew into English, and over the years of, of copying these manuscripts and uh, scribes, writing it down, passing it along, passing it along, somewhere along the way, a, a word got lost. There's a little lack of clarity here, and so we're just honest with it as we look at footnotes in our Bible. There's a textual issue there. Is it, is it you will never die, or is it we will never die? But here's what I think is cool. It doesn't really matter much in this case, because either one is a way that Habakkuk is demonstrating his faith in God. Because he's either saying, you, God, will never die. You are almighty, indestructible, eternal. You will never die. And he's declaring a truth about God. Or if it's we will never die, he's saying we, God's people, will be protected and preserved. Yes, maybe some of us will die, but we, God's people, will be protected and preserved and carried forward. And so again, acknowledging God's um, acknowledging his trust in God. And then, of course, he uses the word rock. Are these things that we do in the face of difficult circumstances is recognize who God is, his nature, that he's our rock, that he's our strength, that he's reliable, that he's our refuge. So instead of us responding to God with, say what? Let's put our faith in our faithful God, especially in unstable circumstances. Notice these two things that, we, that also is going on as, as Habakkuk addresses God. First of all, I'm glad, and I want us to notice, Habakkuk goes to God. In the midst of difficulty, in the midst of, 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 of a whirling, swirling world of confusion and chaos and frustration, do we throw up our hands and walk away? Or do we go to God? Habakkuk goes to God. What about me? What about you, faced with difficulty? Do we go to God in prayer as a last resort? When we've tried everything on our own energy, when we've talked to everybody else, when we've complained, and, or, or do we go to God as our first resource, as our best friend? as someone who hears us when we talk to him. That's what Habakkuk is doing here. And he says, my God. He says, my God. And I think just, just his acknowledgement of his, of his relationship with God helps him to stand out from those around him. Those around him that were falling into sin and rebellion against God and disobedience. And, and, and here's Habakkuk lifting his voice and saying, Lord, my God, I, I, I want to stand out 
from what is going on around me. I don't want to be assimilated into this violence and this sinful culture that's swirling around me. You are my God. What else does Habakkuk do here in, um, what else does Habakkuk do here in verse 12? It sure looks to me like he is working to accept God's ways. Yes, there's a, there's a feeling of, say what? This is confusing. I don't get it. God, what are you up to? But I also think we see in verse 12 that it looks like Habakkuk is working to accept the way God works and, and that he has purposes behind what he does. Look again at verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained, look at that, look at his language, you have ordained them, this wicked foe, the Babylonians, you have ordained them as judgment for our people. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof, for correction. This is Habakkuk acknowledging what you and I need to acknowledge more often, that everything that happens goes through God's office. Everything that happens goes across God's desk. Because doesn't it sometimes feel like things have kind of spun out of control? Are we tempted at all sometimes to think of God spinning the world on his hands and, and oops, didn't mean for that to happen. Oh, I didn't see that one coming. No. Look at Habakkuk's words in verse 12. You have ordained, you have appointed, you have, you, have, uh, you have established these things. Everything goes through God's office. There's nothing that happens in your life and in your world that, that is somehow an accident, that is spun out of control, that God somehow missed. Everything that happens in our world, God either allows or ordains, establishes for his purposes and so we need to recognize and trust God's wisdom and purposes. Even though God's plan wasn't what Habakkuk had in mind, he affirms here in verse 12 that God is working. He, he doesn't maybe like it. He maybe doesn't get it. But verse 12 shows us he's acknowledging, I know, God, you're working here. I know you're behind this. And even though it seems like a contradiction, God, I, I think you're a good and holy God and this situation is messed up. This doesn't seem to go together, Habakkuk says. But he also says, but, I, but I, I know you're working. I know these things are because of you, because you are in control. So he may not get it, but notice Habakkuk still asks questions. Look at verse 13 again. We already looked at this. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and you cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors? So remember, we've talked about this already in this series. It's okay for us to ask questions. We can, we can read Habakkuk's response, his, uh, his laments to God, and, and we can know that it's okay for us to cry out to God, to be honest with God, even to complain and to acknowledge our frustration and our confusion and not knowing what he's up to. It's okay to ask questions, but my friends, let me say it again, we've talked about this before, but we don't accuse God. Ask questions, be honest, cry out, 
But we got to be careful not to accuse God, not to assume that he has no clue, not to assume that he somehow has lost control, not to accuse him that somehow he doesn't know what he's doing. Because that would be tempting in situations like this. How long is this going to go on, Lord? Oh, you won't believe it. I'm raising up the Babylonians. You're going to do what? That doesn't make any sense. That must be wrong. You're mistaken. You don't know what you're doing. No. It's okay to ask questions, but let's not accuse God. But I do think Habakkuk's questions for us raise a prob- the, what we might call the problem of evil. Something that we might f- frequently wonder about. Why do bad things happen to good people? And as we consider that question, I want us to look at, at, at other places in Scripture to get the big picture. My orthodontist wasn't out to get me. My orthodontist made a gap where there was no gap. He gave me pain where there was no pain. But he wasn't out to get me. He had the big picture in mind, and he was working for a solution. And so as we keep in mind the big picture of God's word, of God himself, that that God knows all and sees all, let's, let's hear what we know to be true about God. Look on the screen with me at Isaiah 46. I am God, and there is, no, oh, this is before the verse on the screen, but we can leave it up. I am God, there is none like me. I declare the end from the beginning. I make, uh, declare the difference between ancient times and what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I do all that I please. That's big picture. That's God knowing the big picture, knowing from beginning to end, knowing from ancient to the future, knowing that if he says this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen. You know, I I like to think of myself as a big picture leader in my experience as a leader, and I, I like to think of myself as a big picture thinker and a planner and a looking at the future. In fact, so much so that I think I get teased about all my organization, my calendars on my wall and my color coding, right, and my lists. I'm a planner. I'm a big picture thinker. I'm trying to look down the road. And you know what? All of that pales in comparison to a God who knows all and sees all. To this God who makes known the end from the beginning. God is sovereign. He is the supreme power in the universe. He has supreme authority. And so we can know that, he, uh, that his wisdom and his purposes can be trusted. And we also want to remember that God is working for our good and his glory. I would love to, I would love to tell the story of Joseph and his brothers this morning. An Old Testament story from Genesis. In fact, if you want to, write down Genesis chapter 37 and following. And then this afternoon or this week, read through Genesis starting in chapter 37, the story of Joseph and his brothers. I would love to stop this morning and tell the story of Joseph and his brothers and all the things that his brothers out of jealousy did to him, thinking they could stop him, thinking they could kind of get rid of him, thinking that they could, 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 could manipulate the way the future would have play out. And then in Genesis 50, verse 20, it says this. It'll show it on the screen. Joseph is able to say, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You you intended to derail things. You had your own purposes in mind, but, but God was over all of that. 
God was sovereign over all of that, and God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Or we see in Romans 8.28, this is perhaps a familiar verse to you, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purposes. Remember, friends, that God is working for your good and his glory. And then let's take a look at the last verse in our passage. Here's where we'll finish up today. Let's look at the last verse of the passage today, verse 17. Hopefully you still got your finger in the text there in God's word, Habakkuk 1, verse 17. Is he then to keep on emptying his net? Remember, this is Habakkuk crying out to God, talking about the wicked foe. Is the wicked foe then to just keep emptying his net? Remember, he's yanking us up out of the water, doing whatever he pleases, re, re, uh, wreaking destruction and havoc and chaos and yanking like, like fish out of the sea. And Habakkuk says, is he then just going to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? In other words, Habakkuk cries out, when will this ever stop? Is this just going to keep on going? Will it ever end? And I know we feel like that. I know I feel like that in some times in my human experience, in my very recent human experience. How long, Lord? Is it not ever going to stop? Is this just going to go on forever? Habakkuk says that. Is this merciless killing going to go on forever? No, it's not. No, we can recognize and trust that these troubles won't last forever. How do we know that? From, from various places in scripture, here's one. We can trust that these troubles won't last forever. Look at Psalm 30 on the screen. For his anger, God's anger is but for a moment and his favor is a lifetime. It might feel in the heat of the moment to you in the face of your trial and in the face of difficulty, it might feel that God's anger, that his, that his, uh, that his acting to reprove and correct his people, you might, it might feel like it lasts forever, but in the God's big picture, his anger is for but a moment and his favor, his grace to you, his love to you is for a lifetime. And weeping, sadness, tears, brokenness, might tarry for the night, but joy, rejoicing, joy in the Lord comes in the morning. And so right now you might feel all too aware of your situation, of your own struggle, of your own how long questions, of what's that area in your life where you're asking God why. Let's take some time in these few minutes. Let's take some times before we start a new week. Let's take some moments here before we, we uh, dismiss and go off for the day. Let's take some time to go to God in prayer. Let's lift our voices in song to him. Let's ask God to help us follow Habakkuk's lead and trusting him no matter what our circumstances. Let's pray. Father God, we do have questions. We do ask why. We do wonder how long. But God, it's, it's hard to come to grips with the fact that sometimes things go from bad to worse. Sometimes no gap in the teeth goes back to a gap in the teeth. Father God, it's hard for us to admit to come to you and go, this is not what we expected. Things have gone from bad to worse. You're going to do what? Are you there, God? 
Why do the wicked prosper? Why does it seem like evil wins sometimes? Father, we thank you for being a a God who hears us and who sees us and who knows us, who we can cry out to in that kind of honesty, who we can cry out our heart's frustrations and our heart's desires. We thank you that you hear. God, as you hear us and as you mold us and shape us, would you help us to, to lean into who we know you to be? Would you remind us of of your nature, of your character, of your goodness, your grace, your love, and your mercy. Would, would our, despite our circumstances and despite our fears, would we lean into who we know you to be, your goodness to us? God, would you help us to remember that, that you are, are wise and that you have purposes and that you have a bigger plan and that you have our best in mind, that you are a, a good father, who has our best in mind. Would you help us to remember that you're at work for our good and for your glory. We thank you for sending your son. We thank you for the cross where rebellious sinners like like me can be made right with a holy and perfect God. We thank you, God, for the good news of Jesus that he rescues us from sin and death by his life, death, and resurrection. So, Father, as the ushers come now to receive our offerings, God, I pray that we would give generously because we know that all we have comes from you. God, I pray that as the ushers come now, we would give generously because we can trust you with our whole lives, including our finances. And God, as Habakkuk was showing us here in these verses, help us to show our trust in you no matter what we face. Help us to to grow in trust of you in the midst of our trials and our pain, to know that you are working, that you are there, that your will will be done, that you are rescuing and making us new. We thank you, God, for your great love to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.